Good morning. Welcome, everybody, if you're here in person or those of you joining us online. We're glad that you are celebrating Sunday and worship with us today. Uh, We'd love to know that you're here or if you have prayer requests or if you have questions, you can do all of that at our online connect card. If you scan the QR code that I think is going to come up behind me, it'll take you to a link tree and and you can access all of the important information about our church, but uh, most importantly right now, you can fill out the online connect card and let us know that you're worshiping with us, again, either in person or online. Uh, this is a, uh, a heavy, uh, memorable weekend uh, for all of us, uh, as yesterday marked 20 years, and for uh, those of you who uh, don't have conscious memory of September, September 11, 2001, uh, I'll tell you that those of us who do can't believe it's been 20 years. It doesn't seem like 20 years that we felt all of the emotion, all of the grief, all of the sadness, uh, and our world changed, and we're still seeing the results of all that changed 20 years ago yesterday. So b- before we dive into this new series and dive into studying the Scripture this morning, let's just pause for a minute. Let's just pray and, and, and ask for God's continued healing uh, for those who lost loved ones and continued healing on our nation and our world. Would you join me? God, we come to you today uh, experiencing the, the 20th anniversary of what was the hardest national moment uh, for many of us in our lifetime. Uh, we still remember where we were when we heard the news. We remember the days that followed. We remember the uncertainty, the fear that we felt. We, we also remember the unity that we felt and the coming together and the setting aside of smaller differences uh, behind a, a united effort. And God, we, we miss some of that. Um, we come today to lift up those who lost loved ones 20 years ago and the hurt that they still feel, the questions they still wrestle with. We pray that your spirit will be present with them. We, we pray uh, like every anniversary of tragic events that people would turn towards you uh, where explanations are insignificant and the question of why never gets adequately answered There is Jesus, there is hope in eternal things, there is confidence that you are a God who has not lost control of this world, but you are bringing all things to their rightful end. God, I pray for our world, we are no more safe now, I don't think, than we were then. We uh, are divided and distracted in ways perhaps we weren't 20 years ago. I pray that your spirit would be at work among your people, that we would sow peace and unity, that we would sow truth, that we would sow righteousness as we live our lives in this community and in this world. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. We, um, we live in a time of the social media influencer. Uh, if you don't know what this is, The social media influencer is uh, the well-known, sometimes not necessarily celebrity, uh, but the person who has lots of followers on social media. And so 
The fact that they have so many followers, uh, we assume, companies assume they have a lot of influence over a large amount of people, sometimes millions of people, sometimes tens of millions of people who follow them on social media, uh, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook. Twitter, Facebook, and and so companies will come to these influencers and they will ask them to promote their products. And so they become social media influencers. Some people make money doing it. Some people make a lot of money because of the number of followers they have that they're then able to promote products to all of their followers. We, we have opportunities for you to practice. We, we have uh, banners all throughout the hallway. If you want to practice being a social media influencer, take selfies out there after the service, post them, see how much influence you have. Uh, we'll be tracking all of that. Not really, but you, you're welcome to practice being a social media influencer uh, as we go through this series. But it's this strange phenomenon of uh, not not necessarily knowledgeable people, uh, that may be the most frightening thing about it, is they don't necessarily know much about the product that they are promoting, but they're getting paid to promote shoes or socks or toothpaste or clothes or whatever, and so they're promoting it. I I read one article, it was about social media influencers, and it said that of the people surveyed, 44% think that social media influencers are trustworthy, reliable sources of information, which explains a lot about where we are in society right now. Uh, So these celebrities promote things, and then they get paid by these companies uh, because we buy what they tell us to buy. It's a strange world we live in. Social media influencer. If I were going to define influencer for this series, this is what I'm talking about. An influencer is anyone who can impact or change the behavior and or beliefs of another person. That's what influence is. I can somehow shape how you see things or your behavior or what you do or what you buy or what you like or how you decide to feel about a given issue. I have influence with you. I can persuade you towards something. Now, I I realize that some of the social media influencers make a huge amount of money, but the concept of social media influencer really, in my opinion, is really kind of a superficial concept. Superficial in a couple of ways because typically when we're talking about social media influencers, We're talking about people who don't know anybody that they're trying to influence. Like they're not trying to influence you because they know you and they care about you and they love you and they have a relationship with you. They're trying to influence for the sake of getting paid more money or becoming more popular or being more of a celebrity. So it's it's superficial in the sense that there's really no human connection when it comes to social media influencing, but it's also superficial in the sense that they're just selling stuff, right? It's, it's just clothes and shoes and, and socks uh, and toothpaste. It's just random material stuff that they're trying to influence you to get to buy. And, and, and yes, that's a form of influence because they're changing maybe our buying 
patterns or we're allowing them to change our buying patterns. But I just think there's got to be more to influence than this. I mean, influence at its most meaningful, substantive level has to be more than what shoes you buy or what socks you buy or what clothes you wear. True influence, real, meaningful, substantive influence requires proximity. It requires us living close to one another, being in relationship with one another, knowing each other, caring about each other, wanting to have an influence over someone because I I care about that person. I love that person. I care about the person that they are going to become. And, And so for substantive change, for substantive influence, if you want to be that sort of an influencer, you have to be close to people. That kind of influence doesn't happen at a distance. If you want to truly impact for the good what somebody thinks and believes and how they behave, then you have to be close to that person. You have to know that person. Another more substantive form of influence is um, we should seek to be influencers around issues that matter. Like if if we want to be an influencer, then let's influence for something that really matters. Not just for today or not just what somebody wears or or, or not even necessarily someone's opinion about a a meaningless issue. Let's seek to have impact in areas that really matter. And, And matter not just for today, but matter perhaps for all of our life or even into eternity. I I want to be, I want you to be an influencer around things that count. An influencer for eternity, not an influencer necessarily for the immediate. An, An influencer over whether people come to love and follow Jesus and commit their life to Him. Uh, an influencer in the areas of justice and righteousness and peace and holiness and hope. We want to influence people for things that matter. I, I want to influence people when it comes to their relationships, their marriages, their, their parenting. I want to influence people to see themselves the way God sees them, to believe about themselves the things that God says are true about themselves, to influence other people, to serve other people, to love other people, to live for kingdom eternal purposes, influence people to step into hard places because we've been called to do that, to step into broken places and be part of the healing and hope that needs to come to hard places. I want us to be influencers, but I want us to influence for things that really matter. And here's the good news, or maybe the challenging news. Every one of us has the potential to be an influencer. Like every single person. There's really not a category of influencers and non-influencers. The only categories are how you're using the influence that you have. Whether you're stepping into that. Whether you're maximizing that. Or whether you're shrinking back from that. Whether you're refusing to use what God has given you for the good of other people. Every one of us, we have that potential 
the things that we do, the life that we live, the words that we say, sometimes in ways that we don't even perceive are influencing other people. The things that we post, the things that we tweet, the conversations that we have. We are all influencers, right? And and either we're influencing people towards good and eternal or we're influencing people toward temporary and insignificant. We're, We're using up all of our influence on the things that matter very little in the grand scheme of things or we're expending our influence on those things that matter the most. But we're all influencers. Over the next four weeks, we're going to look at four incredible influencers in the Bible. Four people that impacted and changed others. They used their influence. They exercised their influence for the things that really matter. And they all did it in a different way. They're not the same. They didn't influence in the same way or the same direction, which is an important, uh, an important note for us as we get started. We all influence in different ways. As we begin this series, I'm not suggesting that we're, our influence is going to look exactly the same. We all have different giftedness, strengths, experiences. There are different ways that you can use your influence, but you need to use your influence. As we travel through the stories of these four characters, you're going to see very different approaches to influence, but all of their influence important and life-changing nonetheless. We're going to start with an Old Testament character today. This story is found in Judges. It's the seventh book of the Bible if you start at the beginning comes after Joshua, before Ruth, before all the first and seconds, first second Samuel, Kings, Chronicles. It's before all of the first and seconds. Uh, the book of Judges, we're going to be in chapters 4 and 5 and just, in just a moment. And, and we're going to study an Old Testament character by the name of Deborah. And here's how Deborah used her influence. Deborah influenced by taking action. She took initiative. She stepped forward rather than stepping back. She saw a problem and she stepped into that problem. She moved towards the problem. Sometimes having influence is simply doing something when nobody else will do it. Sometimes having influence is saying, I will go. I will be there. I will show up. I don't know if anybody else is going to show up, but I'm going to show up. And hopefully, by my leadership, by my influence, others will show up as well. The book of Isaiah, uh, chapter 6, God says to Isaiah, uh, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. I'll go. I'll step in. I I will be your voice. I'll be your hands and feet. I will move towards the problem and not run away from the problem. David shows up. Israelites' army is gathered there. There's a giant in the valley cursing God. And David's question is, won't anybody go fight? How come nobody's showing up? How come nobody is taking the initiative? And you know the story. David eventually goes into the valley and fights the battle. 
Deborah's influence, many of your influence, is going to be exercised because you just showed up. You just said yes. You moved toward a problem or an issue. You took action rather than sitting back and waiting for somebody else to take action. Let me give you a little context before we get into Judges 4 and 5. The story is in the period of the Judges. That's why the book is called Judges. The period of the Judges was a time when God was leading his people through judges or leaders. Right? He, he had appointed leaders who led the nation during specific times. This is before the kings. This is before Saul and David and Solomon. So Israel doesn't have a king, and God is leading his people through the judges. Now, the judges, uh, the, the period of the judges uh, was a challenging time for the nation. We, we see this cycle often in the nation of Israel. It, it goes like this. Uh, at some point, Israel disobeyed God. They begin to turn away from God. They begin to worship uh, false gods, uh, disobey God. So Israel disobeys God. God then allows an enemy to overtake them. Enemy comes in, conquers them. Then Israel gets ruled by their enemy for a specific number of years. So they're living under oppression. They're living under uh, this foreign ruler. At some point during that time, Israel cries out for mercy. God, we want to turn back to you. We want to be your people. So God hears their cry for mercy and he raises up a judge or a leader to lead them out of this oppression they defeat the enemy, the enemy gets defeated, and then Israel lives in peace for a certain number of years, and then the cycle starts over again. And they just keep repeating this cycle. It's very frustrating uh, to read. Uh, if you, if you uh, back up into chapter 3, you'll see in verse 7, it says, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. That's usually how a different segment of the judges starts because we begin with the disobedience, right? Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now, when we get to chapter 4, we're, we're entering into about the fourth time through this cycle. We don't get much information about the third cycle, but this is about the fourth time they've gone through this cycle of disobedience, being conquered, living under oppression, crying out for mercy, getting a leader, and then defeating their enemy and living at peace. One more context issue. With this particular story, uh, Judges chapter 4 tells us the narrative. It tells us the plot. It gives us the details and the people and what happened. Judges chapter 5 is a poetic retelling of Judges chapter 4. In, in some of your Bibles, it may say the song of Deborah. Right? So there was a poem, there was a song that was written that poetically, artistically tells the story of Judges chapter 4. We're not going to have time to work all the way through Judges 5, but I'm going to reference it uh, a little bit later in the message. All right, here we go. Judges chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, now that Ehud was dead. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. 
Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Harashoth Hagoim because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites. For 20 years, they cried to the Lord for help. All right, so that's the setting. That's the context. The people have disobeyed God. As a result, they were defeated by King Jabin. He has a military commander named Sisera. We're told they have 900 chariots fitted with iron, which was a military technology that Israel did not have at the time. So they were powerful. They were intimidating. It's easy to see how they would have taken over, how they would have conquered the Israelites. And they continued to use this intimidation over the 20 years that, that Israel is under their oppression, then they call, they call out to God for someone to help them. God, show us mercy, send us a leader. And then, then the question is, okay, who's going to be the leader this time? Who's going to be that person that's going to use their influence to bring Israel out from under the oppression? The answer is in verse 4. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading or judging Israel at that time. Who was that person? Who's got the influence? Who's going to lead us into a better place, back into a good relationship with God? And we find out it's a person named Deborah. Now, this is unusual, surprising in the overall arc of the story of judges because there are no other female judges in this book. Like Deborah's the one female judge that we meet. The Old Testament's primarily patriarchal in nature, and so we would expect, we would assume that God would raise up a man to be the leader. Judges 4 says, no, it wasn't a man this time. It was a woman by the name of Deborah, who was leading Israel at that time, right? And what was that time? Well, that time was when Israel was in disarray, when they were experiencing oppression, when life was hard, when the nation was broken, when they were far from God. They'd spent 20 years under this intimidating, oppressive ruler. It, the, the scripture says he had cruelly oppressed them for 20 years. At that time, God raises up Deborah. Also, that time is when we would not have expected a female judge to rise up. At that time, Deborah becomes the leader. Now listen, God is the master of using unexpected influencers. God is the master. He's the master of using unexpected influences. We didn't think that person was going to be the one that led. That person was the one that led. We didn't see that person having as much influence, but that's the person who had influence. You remember when Samuel went to anoint King David to be the king after Saul? And, and Samuel thought, it can't be this kid, right? And, and God says, look, humans look on the outside. God looks on the heart. God doesn't evaluate leadership. God doesn't evaluate influencers the way we evaluate leadership and influencers. God's not, just, God's not looking for the charismatic person necessarily. 
God's not looking the person that looks like a leader. God sees the heart. God knows who truly has influence and has the integrity to back up their influence. So if you look at your life and you think, well, that's not me. Why is it not you? When we look at who God used in Scripture, why would he not allow you to have great influence for the kingdom of God, to the people that you know. And it it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. It doesn't matter if you're a teenager or a senior adult. It doesn't matter if you're single or married or divorced. It doesn't matter. The labels that we put on, the requirements that we have for being an influence, God doesn't look at any of those. God looks at the heart. And God says that you, whoever you are, wherever you are, Whatever's happening in your life, you have the potential to be the leader, to be the influencer that he wants to use. Now, the rest of the story, it happens in three scenes. And we're going to try to cover those three scenes really quickly. This is verse 5. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh and Heftali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. So here's Deborah, the prophet. She hears from God. That's what prophets do. They speak for God. They hear the voice of God. They speak the voice of God. So here's Deborah. She's heard the voice of God. She calls the commander of the army, Barak, and says, God wants you to go fight Sisera, the commander of the oppressor. He wants you to meet Sisera on the battlefield. Now, Barak actually, geographically, He lives closer to where this battle is going to be. He is perfectly positioned to fight this battle. And so Deborah calls him and says, this is what God says. God's going to win the victory. He wants you to lead the army out. And he wants you to make a stand. And Barak's answer is, I'll go if you go. Which sounds really brave, doesn't it? Like, I'll go. Will you go with me? When you were a kid, did you ever have to go in the dark somewhere? Like maybe you left a toy in the backyard, and now it's 9.30, and Dad says, you got to go get that. Go get it. you got to bring it inside. Or you left something in the car. Mom said, well, you got to go get it. You left it out there. But it's dark. It's really dark. And so you turn to one of your siblings and say, will you go with me? Because you're afraid. You're afraid of the dark. I mean, that's, that's, that's what Barack sounds like. Deborah says, God is with you. He's going to win the victory. Go fight. And Barak says, will you go with me? I'm not going to go if you don't go. And Deborah goes, okay, I'll go with you. I'll hold your hand. If, if I need to go, then I'll go with you. So here's, here's Barak. Not only is he, is he stepping backwards, not only is he afraid, but he's, he's questioning what Deborah has said to him. 
He's questioning whether the voice of God came through her or not. He's not only questioning her, he's questioning the word of God. Because God has spoken through his leader, Deborah, to him. And here's Barak questioning what God has said. Here's the thing about influencers. Influencers don't wait for someone to go first or for someone to go with them. They act on what God said. They're not looking around going, is anybody else going to do this? Will somebody go with me? Who's going to go first? I don't want to go first. Influencers hear from God and God says, I want you to step into that spot. I want you to step, step into that problem. I want you to speak up for me. I want you to be bold for me. And influencers don't look around and go, do I have to go by myself? I mean, if other people go, that's fantastic. But their obedience is not dependent on whether anybody else goes or not. Deborah replies, verse 9, Certainly I will go with you, said Deborah, but because of the course you're taking, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. Deborah, I'll, I'll hold your hand. I'll, I'll walk you out there, help you through this. But God had a place for you. God had something that you were going to get to do, and you're not going to get to do it now. Because you didn't trust God. You didn't walk with God. The honor of being the, the commander who puts an end to this oppressor, you're going to miss it because you were hesitant in your spirit to obey what God had said to you. All right, so that's, that's scene one. We get this little interlude between scene one and scene two. We won't read it, but the interlude, we learn two things. We learn there's a guy named Heber, who's a Kenite. He has set up his tent in a specific spot. We don't know why he enters the story at this point. Heber, the Kenite, sets up his tent. The Kenites were not even Israelites, by the way. They were like distant cousins of uh, the Israelites. But they weren't part of God's family. They weren't part of the nation of Israel. So we, we get that piece of information. And then the second piece of information we get in the interlude is that Sisera, the commander of the oppressive nation's army, Sisera has received intel and he knows exactly what Barak is doing. And he begins to move those 900 chariots of iron. He begins to move them towards Barak, which must have caused some fear in the heart of Barak, when he got there and realized, oh, they're ready to go. Because this is what happens in scene 2, verse 14. Then Deborah said to Barak, go. This is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? Deborah turns to Barak and says, get out there. What are you waiting for? Go, God's got this. Why are you still standing here? Move. Like I wonder, I wonder how many times God looks at his people in a world that he's called us to influence for eternity. He's called us to influence for the sake of the kingdom of God. Hard places he's called us to step into. And I wonder if God is ever saying, would you go, go. I brought you here. 
This is how I want to use you. Go, get out there. Here's the thing about influencers. Influencers not only act, they challenge other people to act. That's what Deborah's doing. She's not only acting, she's not, she's not only there, she's challenging the hesitant to step in. She's challenging those who are holding back to move, go forward. We've come this far. Go. Verse 15. At Barak's advance, he finally moves. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword, and Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. God does what he said he was going to do. God already told him, I'm going to win. I'm going to give you the victory. Scene one, Deborah says, Barak, go fight. Barak says, I'll go with you if you go. She goes with him. Scene two, once again, Deborah says, go fight. And they win. Except the commander runs to the tents of Heber the Kenite. Right? This is why we met this guy earlier. But Heber's not there. Right? What we find out is that Sisera and Heber have made an alliance. So Sisera, the commander of the oppressive nation, Sisera thinks he and Heber are good friends, and they are. They've made an alliance, but this is what happens Heber's not at the tent. His wife, Jael, is. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come, my lord. Come right in. Don't be afraid. So he entered her tent, and she covered him with a blanket. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. She opened a skin of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him up. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If someone comes by and asks you, is anyone in there, say no. Right? Got the picture? Scene three. Sisera runs away, finds the tents of the person he thinks he has an alliance with. His, his wife is there. Jael is there. He says, let me come in your tent and hide. She says, sure, come on in. Come on in. Covers him so nobody will find him. Gives him something to eat. And then Sisera says, if someone comes by and asks if anyone's in there. In the Hebrew, both of those words are the word for man. The Hebrew word for man, ish. Right? If a man comes by, because he's thinking Barak's going to come by. If a man comes by and asks you, is a man in there? Tell them no. And what he didn't realize was he didn't need to be worried about a man at this point. He needed to be worried about a woman at this point, right? That's the way God is. You're looking over here, and God's at work over here, right? You're worried about this, and God's at work over here. If a man comes by, oh, a man is not your problem today. But Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer. And went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground, and he died. (sighs) Jael was not a man. 
was not an Israelite, wasn't on anybody's radar, and God said, I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you. They think I'm going to use them. I'm going to use you. They, they think the dangerous one is Barak. No, I've already told Barak he's not getting credit for any of this. A woman's going to get credit for this because that's how God wanted to work and act in this moment. That's how God is with his influence, right? He's not, he's not worried about who everybody else is looking for. I, I don't need to get into this subject today because it's too much on my heart and it, it take too long. But, man, we are so locked in in Christian culture on Christian celebrity. Right? We, we think the Christian celebrities are the one changing the world. And God's got Jael over here just doing the work that nobody's seeing, nobody's noticing. And it's changing the world. It's changing hearts. It's rescuing people out of dark. We get so focused on who we think should be leading, who we think should be the, the influencer, that we miss who God's really using. See, I, I think it doesn't matter who should lead. All that matters is who will lead. It doesn't matter who should have all the influence. It matters who's willing to use the influence that God has given them. And sometimes, sometimes we say to ourselves, well, you know, so-and-so should do something. Well, they've got the position. Well, they have the authority. Well, they have the power. Well, they have the title. And God's not in heaven going, you know, so-and-so should do. And they should. And they have the power. And they have the title. And they have the right makeup. No, God's looking for who will move, who will act, who will lead, who will step into hard places and be his representative in a world that is broken. It doesn't matter who should lead. It matters who will lead, who will step up and say yes. Now, fascinating. I wish we had time to go through chapter five. We don't. We're going to just cover a couple of it. Take me about an hour and a half and we'll be done. Here we go. 5 verse 2. On that day, Deborah and Barak, son of Abinoam, sang this song. So here's the song about what happened in chapter 4. Here's how it starts. Notice. When the princes, read leaders, when the leaders in Israel take the lead, when the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. I love the way it starts. When, when, when they... When they step out, and when the leaders lead, and when the people rally, and when people say, yes, I'm in, I'm going to do something, I'm going to stop talking about it, I'm going to stop thinking about it, I'm going to do something, praise the Lord. Like God is going to do something when people move, when people act, when people do, when people stop sitting back and waiting, praise the Lord. Judges chapter 4, people moved forward. They did Something. Listen, we will see what God wants to accomplish in our church, in our city, in our community, in our world, in our lives when we stop sitting back and we move forward. We say, yes, I'm going to take action. I'm going to step in. I'm going to stop debating. When the people did that, the song starts, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for what happened. And then later in the song, they start naming names of people who step forward. This is uh, verse 13, uh, Judges 5, 13. The remnant of the nobles came down 
Like they came and they fought with us. The people of the Lord came down to me against the mighty. Some came from Ephraim, whose, whose roots are in Amalek. Benjamin was with the people who followed you. From Macher, captains came down. From Zebulun, those who bear a commander's staff. The princes or leaders of Issachar were with Deborah. Yes, Issachar was with Barak, sent under his command into the valley. These people came, and they came, and this group showed up, and they fought, and we stood side by side. And they sang about this group. And then notice what they say next. Second part of verse 15. In the districts of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. What does that mean? That means these people fought and those people fought and they showed up and they were standing next to us. And then there was all the people in Reuben, like they couldn't make up their mind. They kept going, well, I mean, should we go or should we, should we stay? Or should we, I mean, should we fight? Is, is it the right time for us? It's not really good timing for us. I don't know if we're supposed to go. I mean, have we prayed enough about this? Should, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe we should stay. Maybe we'll come later. Y'all let us know how it goes. Maybe we'll come later. There was much searching of heart. This is not a good thing that the Scripture is saying about these people. The Scripture is saying, they couldn't make up their mind whether they were in or not. They couldn't make up their mind whether they were committed or not. They were searching, back and forth. I don't know. Maybe we should. What do you think? Are you going to go? I don't know. Am, am I going to go? I don't know. We're trying to decide if we should go. Verse 16. Why? There was a battle going on. Why did you stay among the ship, sheep pens to hear the whistling for the flocks? Like that, that, was not, that was not the moment, the hour of trouble. It wasn't in the sheep pen. Why were you down in the sheep pens? The rest of us are down here fighting. In the districts of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. There it is again. Should I stay? Should I go? Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. They didn't even cross over to where we were fighting the battle. Like they just stayed over in their houses. And Dan, why did he linger by the ships? Asher remained on the coast and stayed in his cove. Where were you? Our world was coming unglued and you were nowhere to be found. The enemy was attacking and you didn't even show up. You found something else to do. You went to the sheep pen. You said, oh, I got to go check on the ships. Like everything was coming apart. And you found meaningless things to do with your time. Well, God was calling you into the battle. It's calling you into the spiritual fight. After he talks about them, the next line, I'm not going to read anymore, but the next line in verse 18, the people of Zebulun risked their very lives. What do you mean you were off at the ships and with the, with the sheep? The people of Zebulun were risking their very lives and you couldn't even bother to show up. We don't, we don't influence from the other side of the Jordan. We influence because we're in the middle of the spiritual battles of our time. God, I don't want to get to heaven one day. And God said, you know, Ken, th these people showed up and they showed up and they gave and they sacrificed and, and they were in. And like you could never make up your mind. What was that about? Now, you're always praying, God, do you really want me to do this? God, should I do this? God, 
And look, I get the whole searching of heart thing, all right? I'm a processor. I'm a thinker. I, things go over my mind. I overthink everything. I understand this. But man, I don't want to get to heaven and God say, like, there was a battle I needed you in. I needed you to show up in somebody's life. I needed you to speak words of encouragement. I needed you to help the broken and the helpless. Like you were off checking on other stuff that didn't matter. You, you were involved in things that just, they don't matter. What, what did you do with your life? You and I will not influence the world based on what we're going to do someday. We just won't. We will not influence the world for eternal matters based on what we keep thinking about doing. Areas we keep thinking about getting involved in. Ministry we keep thinking about giving some time to. Areas of brokenness that we, uh, maybe I'll give some of my time to that. You're not going to influence people by what you're going to do someday. And like, I, I know across this room, there are many people that are showing up for the battle right now. Showing, in, in ways that most of the people in our church don't even know about it. Is happening in your life and you are showing up and you are rescuing and you're trying to be healing in broken places and you have bruises and you have scars and you have broken hearts and you cry at times and you get frustrated and you're not sure how it's going to work out. And what I would say to you is thank you for being in the first list because the bruises and the brokenness and the tears are way better than God saying to you one day, how come you couldn't make up your mind? How come you kept sitting on the sidelines trying to figure my will out? I just wanted you to go. I just wanted you to enter into one person's life and be hope and healing. I just wanted you to be available Listen, the, the heartaches and the, and the struggles and the bruises that come with the battle are way better than living a life of searching your heart and not ever making a decision. What's your life going to be given to? Because here's what I know. The battle's already won. God's already won all the battles. I don't know if you caught it when we read through the story, but verse 23 of chapter 4, when, when Barak moved, the scripture says, On that day God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, before the Israelites. Wasn't Deborah, wasn't Barak, wasn't even Jael. God had already figured out the victory. Verse uh, 15, At Barak's advance... The Lord routed Sisera. Like in these places that God's calling you to, he's already going to win the victory. And it may not look like victory right now, right? It may not look like we're winning right now. God's already winning the victory. He just wants you to move forward. He just wants you to go. He just wants you to step in. And he'll take care of the battles. 
He'll take care of the victories and the defeats. And, and, and he'll take care of you. He'll be with you when you move forward. Are we going to be influencers? Are, are we going to really be who God needs us to be in this time that we live? Or are we going to spend all of our time searching our hearts? God, make us like Deborah. Give us the boldness and the courage of Deborah who heard from you and moved out, moved forward. God, move us into those broken places. Help us to step forward when we hear you call. Help us not to spend all of our time thinking, well, should I, shouldn't I? But to boldly advance for the kingdom for the things of eternity. For those who are in the middle of that battle, encourage them. For there are bruises and scars and broken hearts and frustrations and disappointments. But it's so much better than being off checking on the ships when the battle's raging somewhere else. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.